Hello everyone and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Today, we have Meredith Kasten with us. She is the owner of the Non-Clinical PT, which is the number one resource for rehab professionals who want to use their degrees in non-clinical ways. She helps PTs, OTs, and speech-language pathologists professionals leverage their experience and education to launch fulfilling non-clinical healthcare careers. She's also a freelance health writer and editor for OT Potential. Meredith, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about today um, a little bit on the non-clinical side of PT because I feel like us as PTs when we go into school, we're always thinking in the clinical route and I would love to kind of be able to for you to introduce yourself to the audience and give a little background of yourself. Sure. My name is Meredith Kasten, and I'm a physical therapist, graduated in 2010 from University of St. Augustine in San Diego. And I currently live in beautiful Fayetteville, Arkansas, and now I run the non-clinical PT. Perfect. And yeah, I kind of wanted to go into your career a little bit. Uh, We talked about this a little bit before about how you got into PT and this was your second career path. And I kind of wanted you to explain your career path and what got you interested in PT to begin with. Sure. So when I first graduated college back in 2001, it was we were in the middle of one of those recessions. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I I had originally gone to school to become a dentist and realized very quickly that I didn't want to spend my time in people's mouths. And so when I graduated college, I had a communications degree and I was going, well, I guess I'll do graphic and web design. So I took a couple of little courses to prep myself for that world. And that's what I did. I followed my ex-boyfriend to San Diego and we, we got settled in, and we, um, yeah, I was basically working as a graphic and web designer. And then I ended up getting hurt at the company party and I, I was sent to, to physical therapy and I'd never really heard of it except for my then boyfriend. He had a, a friend of his from college that was in um, pre-PT program. And I think he would start a PT school while he and I were still together. So that was the extent that I'd ever heard of physical therapy, but I was sent there by the doctor and ended up making this miraculous recovery. And I was like, wow, all these people here in the gym are having a good time. The patients were talking, the therapists were talking. It just felt like such a beautiful, melding of personalities and all this activity and fun and contrast that to my life as a graphic designer i was sitting behind a computer all day every day and i was just sort of i I was getting people in trouble because i was going hey how's it going i would stop by everybody's desks i would chat at the water cooler at the coffee machine and it was just one of those things where it was very clear that i needed to be a little bit more social and i really liked being up and out of my seat um Unfortunately, when I got to become an actual PT, I found that it was like the extreme version of the opposite side of things. So I I tend to like kind of being somewhere in the middle, a little introvert time and a little extrovert time. But at the time, it just seemed like the perfect career for me. And I remember I, I spoke with my sister who she's a career counselor and coach and we did all these assessments and it was everything was kind of leaning toward PT. And I still maintain that I think PT in some ways was a really good fit for me. It was just in other ways 
that I didn't really take into consideration, it wasn't. And I, I don't think anyone could predict some of those ways, just the things like the productivity pushes and the documentation and the focus on customer service where the patients can sometimes be kind of mean to you. Those weren't really things that I saw during my, during my observation hours. Now, again, to be fair, I worked as a tech for a year or two, and then I was doing observation hours and volunteer work. And I was pretty dumb about it. I only worked in these really fun sports outpatient clinics. And I only saw the tech or the volunteer perspective of, you know, you clock in, you clock out, you have a good time, you joke with the patients, you clean the tables, and then you leave. I wasn't living the therapist life of documenting after hours or all the different just the, the things that go with being the person in charge, all the notes you have to write to the to the doctors and just some of the some of the emotional toll and the physical toll that you take when you're in that role. So I'm kind of going in a disjointed direction, but all of these things led me to realize that it wasn't quite the perfect career that I had hoped it would be. And even though there were things that I liked about PT, there were also parts that I didn't like so much. And and one sign that I've mentioned in the past to some people, but I took a course in PT school at one point, one of our just kind of midway through school, maybe three or four terms in, and it was how to create a resume. And I just remember being in that course and all my friends were like, hey, can you edit it for me? Can you help me with my layout? And I just remember thinking, oh, I like this more than the content we're learning about actual PT. And this probably isn't the best sign, but I'm just gonna ignore it. and not think about it and i was getting signs pretty early in school but by that point you know i was in i had a scholarship i just was kind of full steam ahead and you know you know the pace of pt school everything's getting thrown at you so quickly you don't have a chance to step back and go oh is this really what i want out of my life is this really the right fit you're just so you're just trying to stay afloat with all that information that's getting thrown at you yeah no thank you for for opening up and kind of sharing that that career path and i love the aspect that you talked about because I, I had the same opportunity to, to be a tech like during my undergrad yeah. and like the very end of high school and i saw like that aspect of it but that perspective is i tried to like dig in to kind of like what a pt is just to really get my like hands into it but like it's different it's there's so many like aspects there's being even just on my clinical rotations where i don't even have like productivity standards or anything yet um that i've become aware of and things that i didn't realize and so i love that you highlighted those and realized oh these are some of the other things that for anybody that's listening right now that's interested in getting into pt to really do your homework because that's such an important role to, to know because there's so many things beyond just that fun atmosphere which it's something that really same as same as yourself that really attracted me to the profession but there's other things to keep into account so yeah. i loved that you kind of shared that and then you've gone through your career and so yeah, i kind of wanted to know where you made that jump so you had your in the profession you were working in the clinical environment and then what decided, what made that jump where you're like, oh, I want to kind of enter a non-clinical PT role and then also creating this company. When did that all happen? It's funny. It was, it was kind of a gradual shift because I think I was on my maybe third or fourth job out of in five years. It, I mean, I was not that far. Maybe I was out of school for like three years and I was already on my third or fourth job. It was ridiculous. And it was one of those things where I started having people ask me, is it just that you don't like working? Because I had had this job as a graphic designer and I had had, you know, multiple jobs as a PT and all of them, I seemed to feel like I needed to leave or change. And so I think 
I was starting to wonder that in the first place, like, is it, is it that PT isn't the right fit? Am I just lazy? Do I just not like to work? But I love being a body in motion. I like working. I like thinking, I like learning. And so I was thinking it's, it can't be any of these things. Um, there's gotta be an issue. And then I think at one point I went to work at a hospital and a patient was really pretty young and he was a CEO and he was, probably pretty mobile but he had been beaten up really badly in a bike accident and so he i was not sure he was going to be able to get to the bathroom okay with his weight bearing precautions and everything without the use of the gate belt so i had the gate belt on as per hospital protocol and he was so mad at me he ended up tearing it off and threw it at me and the thing about it is in that moment i feel like that was when i was that was when i decided you know i spent time money energy tears all the things that go into the stress of a pt program and i'm getting out and i'm having patients fling objects at me out of fury over things that are largely out of my control and that was sort of this i don't know if it's like a come to jesus moment or what you want to call it but for me it was just this rude awakening of i don't know that my personality is a good fit for the way healthcare is structured at this point it was I would get into a patient's room and be totally cool doing the treatments. I liked it. I liked working with them and same with outpatient. When we were generally speaking, I will say I wanted to be behind a curtain because I'm so kind of ADD and distractible that when I worked in those big fun gyms that are super fun as a tech, not so fun when you're easily distractible, like overwhelmed type of person the way I am. Um, but when I would be behind a curtain with a patient or I'd be in their room helping them walk or any of those things, I, I really did kind of like the work other than just the physical toll that it takes on you. It was just, it was literally everything else. It was the idea that you had to get there at exact time, leave it an exact time. You practically had your pee breaks scheduled. I don't do well with that. I like, so acute care was my, my preference compared to outpatient for that reason. But then with acute care, you have all these other issues, like things that are again, out of your control productivity. That was so frustrating because I felt like I would be running around literally running some days trying to get to all my patients and see them and i still couldn't make productivity because you know it's just hard it's hard because patients you think they're going to be in the room they just got taken out in my case i was prn for a lot of my time in those roles so i was going to like every floor on the hospital so i'd go all the way up from the third floor all the way up to the ninth floor and then i get to the ninth floor and walk into the patient's room after checking in with the nurse and they'd say they're in there and then it's like, whoops, nope, they were just taken off for some procedure. So <clears throat> for me, a lot of it was just, it was just the idea that there was so much out of my control that was related to my performance on the job. And I don't know, I'm one of those people that I feel really bad about myself if I'm not like performing to the level that my peer or that my supervisors want. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense that that Excuse pressure me. it's not covid <laughs> no you're all good i'm um, vaccinated okay <laughs> but that makes that makes a lot of sense to me like that those pressures especially in both environments like even in the sniff environment like i was or the acute care i was in like a sniff and like productivity is such a hard thing because you can have the day perfectly planned out and set and then this, that, and the other thing happened, and your whole day just like shatters. And so, yes. and I, I've even seen that in the in the outpatient world as well, when patients cancel things. And so that's such a hard thing to to have that feeling and know how to be able to manage those feelings in a way that's healthy. Because yeah, those we have a, a very high standard that we're set that we have to we want to obtain, but at the same time we feel those pressures. And so with that, you 
had those feelings, and then you you had that moment with the CEO, young CEO in the hospital. Where after that, where did that take you? Oh, that's such a good question. This is it. It gets really windy here, so bear with me. And if you need, honestly, if you need to chop this part out because I ramble too much, you have my full, you know, full permission to do that. But the the long story, as short as I can make it, is I went into a panicked frenzy because that was the moment where I was like. I don't think I can do this until I'm 65 years old. And I was living in San Diego with my now husband, but he basically said to me, just put in five years total. I think this happened at year three or maybe year four for me. He said, put in five years total. And then let's see about, maybe you can even work at Starbucks. And I mean, when he gave me that permission, it was really relief, but it was all not permission, but you know what I mean? When he kind of said like, put in your five years and then let's have an honest conversation and you can kind of do whatever you want. And I'm, I'm there for you. I felt like relieved. And then I also felt terrible because it was, it was like, all right. So basically I went to get my doctorate in a healthcare profession and I'm going to end up going and working at Starbucks, which I could have done without all of this money, time, energy, heartache sunk into this. And so that it was like, again, a relief, but also really depressing in some ways. And so what I kind of internally resolved to do after thanking him, like, th you know, thank you for being willing to support me in San Diego as a barista and we're not even married. Like, thank you. Thank you. But I also was like, I'm not going to let you do that. Um, so I started applying to all these jobs. I applied to graphic design jobs, web design jobs, writing jobs, because when I was doing graphic design, I would like occasionally float over into their kind of marketing writing area and help them with some of that stuff. So I was like throwing the spaghetti at the wall, everything I could possibly apply for. And I did ultimately land one role that was a contract job at DJO Global, which you may have heard of them. They make, they used to be called Donjoy. They make braces and all sorts of equipment. So they employ a lot of athletic trainers. And so I was stoked. They came, they brought me on as a marketing admin for like 10 bucks an hour through, through a staffing agency. And honestly, I was like, I'll just keep working at the hospital PRN. And then I'll do these, um, I'll do these kind of one-off jobs. But that one, I was hired in November and they canceled the contract in December because I found out later with contract roles, it's usually because they have X amount of budget at the end of the year. And they're like, yeah, just pull out a few contractors and then just cut them off at December for the new year. And so, I mean, I was there a couple of weeks and it was it was disheartening because I was excited. I thought maybe I had a, like a an end to that company. It was local to San Diego and so that fell apart. And so at one point I started I'm trying to remember how it all went down, but, but basically I met a student who then became a full-time employee at one of the hospitals where I was floating. And he asked me if I wanted to work on a blog for new PTs with him. And it was called new grad physical therapy. And it was kind of under the umbrella of this other family of websites related to eye care. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I, I love writing and I've never thought of it as like a, a profession for myself, but it's, you know, I've done a little bit of it to help out in, back when I was in my twenties. And so we just started blogging and writing all these articles. And what ended up happening was as this website grew and our mailing list exploded to like, you know, 9,000, 12,000 people, a few other things were happening simultaneously. I landed a PRN rehab liaison job right around that time. So I was working as a rehab liaison. I was um, working as a writer for this blog, you know, running this blog with him and sending out an email every week or month or whatever we were doing it. And people started writing back to me and being like, hey, thanks for sharing all these PT jobs. But what I really want is to 
be like you and not not working patient care anymore because by then you know i was writing an article about what it's like to be a rehab liaison and i was writing things about non-clinical jobs for pts because they say write what you know and so i was writing the things that i was going through at that point and so that was really when it all kind of gelled for what i'm doing now is that people were reaching out so much and i remember talking to my co-website person and the and the founder of the parent company and i was like hey there's a big thing here right now everybody wants to leave clinical care he and i the the other guy and i had both left clinical care at that point and it i was like all these people want to do the same and they're asking for all this advice and recommendations and i was doing like free coaching just getting on the phone with these people and they said that's a great idea but it really doesn't fit with our business model and so it was a very amicable split and they ended up focusing entirely on eye care new grad physical therapy doesn't exist anymore it's been kind of rolled over into their optometry site but anyway um so basically it was just an amicable split i took a full-time writing job at that point because i had so much writing under my belt by this point that i could just go work at a writing agency and that's what i did and so while i did that i started writing everything i knew about the non-clinical world on the non-clinical pt because when i was leaving ngpt you know i sent an an email out this is my last week or whatever and all these people were just like stay in touch oh my gosh please please i'm not there yet i'm not out of patient care so i directed all of them to the non-clinical pt and that's how that kind of evolved is it just it was like i didn't think many people were going to be interested in this and then all of a sudden it was it was something we were whispering covertly about you know behind closed doors like oh, i don't know if i really want to keep doing patient care and then all of a sudden it was just like and, and then you had over the last couple of years, it's just gotten insane with we have PDPM, PDGM. We've had the COVID situation with people not feeling protected. They haven't been given the PPE that they need. And then people getting laid off from what's supposed to be such a stable career. And so it's just I feel like there's been this total paradigm shift where people went from being almost embarrassed to leaving patient care to feeling like you can actually go to to grad school now intending never to really practice for that long but instead go into research or public health or any of these other tracks and so people are just thinking about their pt career in a totally different way and so it's been really really cool to be part of that and see everything evolve because i just look back to when i was still running my blog and some of the things people would say when i was first starting they're like oh you're wasting your education or too bad you went to all that school and you're just now you're just a blogger and i'm thinking well i mean it's not just a blogger now because there's so many people who want to who want to take this path right exactly like i just had on the show nick patel a little while ago and he, yes. I mean, he he was kind of i think he's been on yours as well we were talking about before he shared his path and although he had gone to pt as well like to begin with he had his end goal of getting into the non-clinical realm as well and so i think that more and more it's becoming a yes. an avenue in the profession that i think early on a lot of us just think oh inpatient or outpatient you decide kind of thing mm -hmm. and so being able to see like hey there's so many other avenues that all this education can also provide i think is such a valuable tool and i kind of wanted to dig deeper into the non-clinical pt what sure. are some of the things that you guys provide um the things that you guys really focus on with your company sure sure honestly when i first started the site the tagline was guidance community and inspiration and i still try to stick to those main three tenets when i when I approach the business. But the guidance aspect is I do provide a lot of information in terms of I have some free blog posts. I have this weekly spotlight series, which Nick Patel was on that one. And it's it's I look at it like a written podcast. And so I'll just put together these spotlight series where people can 
just peer through the different spotlights and and see who interests them and look through that so that's all free on my website i have a bunch of career paths that i cover and then just how-to articles about how to take your rep your resume and do just some basic work to make it look a little more non-clinical or how to tailor it to a job and so that's all on the website at the non-clinical pt but then i also have some premium content in the form of these crash courses that I offer. And for those, it'll take a specific career path. So it might be a clinical liaison or utilization reviewer. And then I've got a few more coming out later this year. Uh, I've got one for academia right now and clinical informatics, but those are basically just a chunk of my non-clinical 101 course, which I'll talk about in a second, but it's an informational video anywhere from about 25 to 45 minutes long that goes into what is this career path and then what do you need to get there which types of people would do well what are the pros what are the cons what personality traits thrive who kind of shrivels up and dies in these roles and then it talks about what do you need in your resume to get there what additional training or certifications what types of things should you do at your clinical job to make yourself marketable for this type of role so things to ask your supervisor to help out with and and then it comes with a couple of sample cover letters and resumes as well as links to different courses you can take immediately and so when i say that there's some high level recommendations so it might say you might want to go into this grad school program or an mba might help you in this track but if you don't want to make that investment here are some things in the short term a really quick low-cost course on coursera or udemy or one of those sites and so that's what I aim to do is just for each of those crash courses, take someone who already knows, they're like, I wanna be a clinical informaticist and then just give them literally packaged up just everything you need, including your resume and cover letter and then the steps they need to get there. And then non-clinical one-on-one is you take all the crash courses, including a bunch that I haven't created crash courses out of, but it's the same content. And I wrap all of that into a giant course. That's one of the four steps of the course. But then the course also has step one, which is a bunch of self-exploration and personality assessments and things like that and, and skills assessments to let you kind of know what types of things you're good at, what you enjoy, what you don't like, and you can match those then to the careers. And then the course after, so that's the first step is getting to know yourself, all the assessments. Step two is all those 25 crash courses rolled up into it's like 10 or 12 hours of content it's long maybe it's longer than that now it's a lot and then then we get into how to write a resume and how to write a cover letter and how to apply how to network how to use linkedin and then the last sections like negotiating and all that stuff so it's a pretty comprehensive course and it's it's designed for the person who feels the way i did where they're like just got hit in the face with a gate belt and they're going uh-oh, what do I do next? Like, I know I don't want to do this. I've had my moment of, like, clarity that I can't be in patient care forever. What else is out there? And then one other thing I was going to say, so there's guidance, community, and inspiration. So um, the community aspect is I have a free Facebook networking group, and then um, that's where I really try to just build community and get people to talk with each other and share their tips. And Fair, fair warning, I'm pretty strict in that group. So it's a pretty low to no promotion. There's one thread on Fridays where you can promote your things. But I've been in a lot of related groups and it's like a free for all of people selling things. I try to really avoid that in the group. I want the group to be devoted to people sharing jobs on their weekly Wednesday thread, these non-clinical roles, either at their company or um, 
or that you know that they've seen and maybe don't apply to what they want to do you can share them on this weekly wednesday thread and then the rest of the time it's just people asking questions just saying hey has anybody ever heard of this hey i just got a job doing this ask me anything so it's really cool that is it. that's been one of my favorite parts about it is just seeing this community grow to over twenty thousand people that is awesome and then what is that facebook group then for people that are interested sure it's called non-clinical non-clinical networking and jobs for rehab professionals so if you put non-clinical with a dash non-dash clinical networking you should be able to find this group um but yeah it's it's non-clinical networking for rehab professionals and i think it says ptotslp but it's also for assistance i mean anybody who's had a rehab background is appropriate for this group Perfect. Yeah. And thank you for sharing kind of everything sure. that you guys have to offer. Honestly, you're going through some of those roles. And I guess this is just to my ignorance. What are some of those examples of non-clinical roles that you've seen commonly PTs transition to? And could you give maybe just a, a short snippet of some of them? Because I think you said clinical informatics. Yeah, informatics. I, yeah. I, can you, like, I think I kind of know, but I, could you just kind of elaborate on some of those different avenues sure. that you see are common? Yeah, I'll, I'll elaborate on a couple of them. I have it broken into 25 different paths in my course, so we won't go into all 25, especially because <laughs> each path is like, this is a bucket, and then you've got all these different things you can do within that bucket. But one of the big ones, I will say, is clinical informatics, and that's a newer role. And I always like to say, if you're the person who is frustrated with the EMR, and then you're like, hey, give me the keys, and you start tinkering with it, and you make templates, and you improve the processes and the flows, if you're that person, or you want to be that person, and you like tech, you just have, haven't ever had the opportunity to do that, this could be a good role for you because what your job is, is to communicate between clinical teams and the people who make the software. And depending on where you work, it might be that you're talking to the person who makes the software, or you might be talking to the people that implement the software or the people who tweak it. I mean, it totally depends. You can imagine working as a clinical informaticist for a really small mom and pop clinic or chain of mom and pop clinics versus a huge network of hospitals, that type of thing. And so, but your, your main role in all of this is to be a process improver and a communicator, because you need to be talking to the kind of the tech team and you need to be talking to the clinical team, making sure everybody's on the same page, figuring out what the clinical team's problems are, figuring out what the limitations and availabilities are from the software team, and then helping people come up with a way to fix things. And so, you know, the shortest version is like, hey, EMRs, find them clunky and annoying, but wish you could fix them. This is kind of, that's part of that. But then if you want to go more tech, then this is a perfect example. If you want to be an informaticist, it's a very communication heavy role. But if you want to be, say, a data analyst or um, what's the one called? It's healthcare analyst or healthcare data analyst. Those ones are going to be a little more tech driven. And so that's where you get into, you might want to take a course on data analytics, or you might want to take a, a course on programming or databases. And so it really is going to depend with that little umbrella category of informatics, clinical informatics, where do you want to go? And do you need additional training and education? Because sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And it really just depends if you've been designated a super user then you probably don't need a whole bunch of extra experience. You might, you might, to, to use a Southern term, you might could benefit from, from getting a certificate or something, but someone who has no experience whatsoever, but just knows they want to do this, they might need to go and get a really good certificate or more likely even a master's level degree in health informatics. 
So it's going to depend on just what you've done, what your experience is. And that's the kind of stuff that it's, everybody's a little bit different. And so uh, that's just one of the many paths. I'll say public health is another really good one where you can usually transition into public health. Some people think you need the MPH, Master of Public Health, and that's certainly going to help you, especially if you want to go kind of up the food chain and you want to get those higher level jobs. But if you just want out and you want out now and you don't have a lot of money or time to spend on another degree, you can get what's called the CHES certification. And you can go ahead and get a lot of these population health jobs or public health jobs just from having your clinical background and the CHES. And so really it's just, you're gonna get a lot of different options out there. And it's just, it's a lot, it's overwhelming. It's daunting when you realize just how many options there are. But again, that's where I love the Spotlight series because you can go and you can just read them at your leisure. It's all free. And that gives you a really good idea of where people have gone and how they get there. It's You're not going to have the resume templates and things like that. But at least if you're just kind of like, I don't have the money or time to enroll in any of your courses, Meredith, then start with that Spotlight series, join our networking group and, and apply for some jobs. Some people have been very lucky and they've been able to get out without any fancy work to their resume, I'd say the vast majority of people ultimately do need some help just because, you know, we all know how to write a clinical resume, but it's very different when you have to write for a job that wants you to have a completely different skill set, which I'd argue we have, but you, we've never had to explain it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And yeah, thank you for just kind of spotlighting sure. some of those because I personally, yeah, I've definitely in my mind always envisioned, um, uh, honestly, I always envisioned outpatient therapy, um, yeah. getting the, some of that inpatient experience. I really enjoyed it and I've thought about that too. But yeah, the, like I'd, I'll eventually want to become my own, like, like own, own my own practice and everything. Yeah. But those things are still kind of in that realm of, of being a clinic. Like you're still in the clinic, but a little bit different. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to know more of those opportunities and paths that I haven't even been aware of. So thank you for sharing some of those. You're welcome. And we didn't even scratch the surface, honestly. There are so many. I mean, care coordinator, which is similar to case manager. I mean, there's just so much, but again, it's like we could, we could probably talk for like 20 hours about all of these things and still not cover everything. Okay, perfect. So yeah, I definitely have, I invite everyone to check out uh, the website, all those things that she said, all those things that she said, sorry, all those resources to be able to look at and to learn more. Um, I kind of want to know a couple of other things as well with this. So I know it's probably a, not a set thing because each of those avenues are specific and they have different personality types, but are there some general attributes or characteristics that you would say are really common or really important if you're wanting to get out of a clinical role and change into a non-clinical role? Are there any things that you've seen that are more common than others or does it kind of vary per profession of what you're kind of interested in? Sure. I mean, great question. I think it's going to vary per profession quite a bit, but I'll give you some examples. So we didn't talk about utilization review. I always call that the bell of the ball because right now everybody is interested in her. She's like the prettiest girl in the room, but it's because you get to work from home and you're reviewing charts. Now, if you're still treating clinically, sometimes you'll look at them and be like, you're going to work for the evil empire. And it, it's true. I mean, a lot of those roles do involve some denials and reviewing of cases. And so it's not work that is to everybody's interests. I'll, I'll put it that way. But some people really love it and they feel like they're helping to reduce waste in the healthcare system. And so, I mean, like everything else, it's like you're going to have some 
good and some bad in every role where you feel like you're doing doing the Lord's work. And then sometimes you feel like you're a little bit, maybe I don't, I don't love that I'm doing this. And it's just kind of the, it's the nature of work, right? But basically for those types of roles, they, you are working from home, but because of that, you need to be able to work independently and you need to be very detail oriented. You need to be pretty impartial too. And so those are some characteristics and attributes. I would consider those kind of soft skills versus hard skills, but then a hard skill would be, you know, how to use interqual or something like that, which is the software that they use to do their reviews. So you're probably not going to have experience using interqual, but you probably do have those other attributes of just being decisive, being impartial, being very detail oriented, being able to work independently. And all of those attributes are going to really help you as a utilization reviewer, whereas a completely different skill set is going to help you for, say, a rehab liaison job, because a rehab liaison is borderline sales. You're kind of doing sales and marketing with a little bit of clinical assessment, but very, very low load on your body. You're not moving any patients. It's all just kind of interviewing them. And for that, you're, you need to be an excellent communicator. You need to be assertive. You need to be take a lot of initiative. So those are those soft skills. And then your harder skills that you might need would you, you would probably benefit from being versed in all sorts of EMRs because you're going to be reading all sorts of notes from different EMR systems. And so you'll want to know what to feature as far as your soft skills and your hard skills for each of these different career paths so that you're not saying, oh, I'm so great at working. You know, if you want to be a case manager or care coordinator, you're not like, I work very well independently. And not that I don't want to eat my words here, but I'm going to eat my words here a little bit because you do have to be able to work independently for those roles. But it's not necessarily as important as being able to work collaboratively and communicate. And so I guess that's what I'm saying is like, you, you want to know which skills are the most important for each role and then take your... But again, there's that's step one with the course. You're figuring out, do I actually have those skills or if I have them, are they the ones I like using and they come naturally to me? Some people, they're really good at selling things, but they hate it or they hate quotas. And so it's just, it's so important to know the types of things that you want to do. Sales, rehab liaison, they often have quotas involved. So if you're the type that's like, I hate productivity, I hate having to achieve a certain amount of XYZ. I, I prefer to take my time. You might not like those roles. Whereas people who are like, I always make productivity, but like under, under any circumstance, I always make it happen. They might really thrive in a sales role because they've just got that attitude where they're going to make it happen. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And I, I, that's what I figured. I figured each, each role and each profession kind of has different characteristics that are more, yeah. um, that are more important than others. And so that's, that's a great topic to be able to share. Um, I also wanted to know, this is kind of just, I kind of pivot away from that and just a random question. Um, But I wanted to know what is something throughout your career so far that once you learned it, that you would wish you had learned it sooner? What was that, that kind of key clicking moment that you're like, this is such a valuable um, informational tool that I have and I wish I would have learned that sooner in my career. Do you have anything in your mind that sticks out to you? Yes, I would say to lean into who you really are as a person and not try to be anybody else than yourself. Because I mean, I, I was told once when I was, when I was very early in my professional kind of entrepreneurship journey, I was told by someone through, I'm not going to use their name, but an organization devoted to helping local entrepreneurs in big cities. This was when I was in San Diego. 
I was told that I would never make it as an entrepreneur because I'm too hyper and I laugh too much and I smile too much and I joke around too much. And that is the biggest load of bull crap I've ever heard in my life because I have been like so much more successful as an entrepreneur than anything else in my life. If anything, I've been just kind of a lackluster employee in all of my jobs. I've never, but since I've had full control over just the integrity and the direction and the vision and all this, all the prioritization as an entrepreneur, it's been, it's just been an incredible dream come true for me. And so don't let other people, that would be the piece of advice I would give to everybody. Don't let anybody tell you who you are because you know who you are more than anybody else. They might know parts of you or they might know aspects of what you present, but you know who you are at your core and you know what your values are and you know what you're capable of doing. And you're not wasting your degree if you leave patient care. You are not making a mistake if you go sell real estate. You are not, there's nothing wrong with anything that you do if you believe in yourself and you feel like this is reflective of my values and what's important to me. And if it's gonna keep me able to be the best version of myself to go out and smile at everybody in the world and bring joy into other people's lives, then who's anybody else to tell you what you can do, right? Yeah, I love it. No, I think that's so true. To be truly authentic and find what you're passionate about and go after that. And that's yeah. so funny that you talked about like that you weren't going to be able. Like they said, you couldn't be an entrepreneur, but that you felt the exact opposite. You felt like you've given so much more and been so much more uh -huh. invested with that. So that's cool. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and just to wrap up right now, I just wanted to kind of be able to. If anyone is interested in talking with you, you kind of already shared a little bit about the best ways to contact. Kind of reiterate those, sure. and then is there any other additional information or advice you'd like to share with the audience before wrapping up? Oh, sure. Okay, before I forget, the nonclinicalpt.com. No, no dashes in the website address. Just the nonclinicalpt.com. You can find links to everything in there. You can find a way to join the Facebook group. You can also, we talked about it earlier, but nonclinical jobs and networking for rehab professionals. You can put that into the search bar for uh, Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I'm not on there too much, but you can find me on all the major platforms. You can find me on LinkedIn, but definitely reach out, connect, join the groups. I would say before you do anything else, join the group on Facebook. If you have Facebook or if you don't have Facebook, I would say, and, or take, I have a free mini course on the nonclinicalpt.com and it goes through some stuff we didn't get a chance to discuss today, but just those things that you should really keep in mind when you're pursuing a non-clinical career, just high level high level concepts that keep you on track and keep you understanding what the end goal is and then w keep you from chasing the next shiny object because that's the temptation when you leave patient care and that kind of leads into any last piece of advice i would say if you want to leave direct patient care and you want to do something else resist the temptation to pursue anything and everything and just like grab at things because you might end up landing a job but you might hate it for example, someone might take a chance on you if you go into sales, but if you didn't think it through and you're like, gosh, I have a newborn at home and I really don't want to be traveling 75% of the time. That's where a lot of that, there's some of this in that free mini course on my home, on my homepage of my website, but just getting to start to know your non-negotiables, your why, the reason you're making this this transition is gonna help you so much. So try to really take a strategic organized approach where you know what's out there, you get a good high level look at things. You can really do some informational interviewing with people if you can and just get to know 
get to know things the way you did with PT or whatever, whatever your background is. If you knew you wanted to be a PT from the time you were 16, you didn't become one until you were like 24. If you knew it took you years, you had to do all sorts of shadowing. You had to take tests. You had to invest time and money. So look at the next stage of your career the same way. You won't be investing as much money like most of the time, unless you just decide to go to a really expensive MBA or something like that. But but just look at it as the next step in your future and invest the right, invest your time in doing your shadowing or your informational interviewing, do your homework, definitely look into why you want to leave patient care. Is it because you don't want to touch feet anymore or is it because you want more growth or you don't want to approach this from running away from something you want to be running towards something else. So don't, don't stop with, oh, I want to get away from this, this, and this. Ask, what am I running toward? What types of, of features do I want in my next career? Do I want a lot of upward mobility? Do I want to be able to travel? Do I not want to travel at all because I hate flying? Or just think about all of those things because then you won't be just randomly applying. And then this is my last soapbox moment, I promise. But then you won't be sending, this is the thing that really gets me is that people will create quote a non-clinical resume and they just blast it out to every job they see. And you're not going to get hired because the hiring manager, first of all, if they even see your resume, which they have software to screen you out if you don't match the job well enough with your resume. But if you just even happen to slide in there, they're not going to be like, oh, this person has kind of generic experience here and they've done some freelance writing and they've done this and they've done that. But if there's nothing that speaks in your resume to the job at hand, then you're not going to be considered one of the top candidates. And yeah. So, I mean, basically you're just going to want to know what you're pursuing and then it's going to help you with your networking efforts. It's going to help you write the right resume. It's going to help you during the interview process because you'll understand the job and you'll know how to answer the questions. You'll know how to negotiate because you'll know what they value. So that's my soapbox. Just do a lot of introspection before you just wildly blindly start applying. Perfect. Uh, thank you for sharing that, sure. that mindset of don't be running away something, but by running towards something. I think that's such yes. a key. And I really love, I love that you highlighted that right there. Um, that's something a really important thing that we, we know as, as we, even, even if we want to stay in the clinical realm, as we continue to progress and grow, make sure that you're not just running away from something, but you're really wanting to run towards something else. Thanks. Definitely. It's kind of like the Alice in Wonderland thing. If you have no path, it doesn't matter which way you go, you know? Yes. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, Perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Meredith. I really enjoyed this and I learned a lot, honestly, about okay. the non-clinical side of PT. I haven't had a lot of exposure to it. And so thank you for kind of opening up my Welcome. perspective. And I'm excited for all the listeners to be able to also learn this as well. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.